way my dad was manufacturing meth for the Hells Angels. I remember going to my mom on my crack runs in Palo Alto and 30 crack dealers surrounding the car. I just literally pulled over one day and said, all the, all the oxen free. Like I give up. I don't have this figured out. Hello and welcome back to the Almost False Podcast, where I be regular people with incredible stories. Today, our guest is Matt from Denver, Colorado. He has a, an incredible story with a broken childhood and how he overcame that over the years. I can't wait to talk to him. And so I don't want to waste more of your time. Let's get into the story with Matt. That's amazing. So you talked about your dad. Uh, walk me through your childhood. What did it look like where you grew up? Uh, how was your relationship with your parents and how that all went down? Uh, so when I was a child, uh, my parents were probably 25 when they got pregnant with me and, uh, they were wild, man. So this was the Bay area of California, Palo Alto area in the eighties before California became what it is now. It was pretty wild gangs and lots of drugs and, uh, Anyway, my dad was manufacturing meth for the Hells Angels. He uh, cooked meth, and I believe him and my mom were also using it. So, you know, they could have potentially, uh, my mom may have been using drugs while pregnant with her children. I'm not 100% certain on that. She's passed now. But, you know, my mom was getting really tired of the lifestyle. My dad uh, wasn't a faithful man. You know, he was in drug life and uh, lots of different women living that drug dealer lifestyle. My mom was being physically abused and stuff like that. I'm sure there's two sides of every story. My mom um, obviously struggled with drugs too, but that being said, she decided to cooperate with the federal, um, with the feds. And I, I still don't know all the details of it, but um, she ended up cooperating with the feds and uh, my dad ended up going to federal prison. My mom got addicted to crack cocaine and uh got into that lifestyle and so when i was about four or five years old i remember waking up in the middle of the night my mom would be home and we'd wait around all night and my sister and sometimes she'd be gone all day uh we'd have to go to neighbors houses and stuff and ask for food and and help and stuff like that my grandparents and some aunts and uncles were fighting to take us away from our mom i went and stayed with an aunt in vacaville california i was six at the time and um my mom showed up out of the blue uh and i was told not my mom was to show up to not get in the car with her but i did uh i got in the car with my mom she showed up while i was, I was walking home from school and i got in the car with her and then we went and found my sister and my sister told my mom no she couldn't get in the car with her but she saw my knees shaking how scared i was uh, my sister got in the car with us and my mom kind of took us up to Washington state. I'm not sure how the custody and all that was going at the time. I don't think anyone had custody of us yet. So my mom was taking advantage of the situation and we headed up North to Washington state. And I remember as we drove through Oregon, we stayed in this hotel and my mom got really sick. She was coming off the drugs and, um, we stayed with this lady in this hotel and she just took care of me and my sister while my mom was coming off the crack. And, uh, we made it up to Port Angeles and the plan was we were staying with missionaries that my dad had missionaries speaking to him in prison. They got me and my mom into church. We moved up to Washington and my mom found God 
and uh, got off the drugs and um, found Jesus. This was 1990, 1990. Well, it turns out my mom was pregnant when we made that drive up to Washington and she gave birth shortly after moving to Washington. And she had my little brother, Gabe, um, who actually just passed away. Uh, and he was a, a crack baby and, uh, he was half black, half white with the crowd she was running around with in California. She was hanging out with a lot of drug users and stuff. And, uh, her and my dad were thinking about getting back together. But once my mom gave birth to this black baby, that was a no-go for my dad. And, uh, my mom ended up remarrying up there in Washington state when I was eight years old. Um, she met a guy about a year after being there in the church, met through these missionaries and, uh, he took on my, my brother Gabe. And then my mom was sober for seven years. <clears throat> and then, uh, we had a decent little run there from about seven till I was about 12 or 13. Um, it was like a drug free home. My stepdad, pretty good guy. And then uh, when I was about 12 or 13, my mom fell off the wagon and I kind of started walking away from God and smoking weed. You know, my mom started falling off the wagon. Uh, my dad was getting out of prison around that time when I was 12 or 13. And uh, my mom was really struggling and uh, I started getting in trouble and I uh, got in a stolen car. I got charged with um, accessory to a stolen vehicle or something like that. When I was a minor, I went into a house with the same friend, got caught, uh, got charged with that robbing a house. Um, I'm going to talk I'm 13 years old. Um, doing these things was a straight A student. Just everything was catching up to me. I think, uh, trying to be good, trying to not let all these outside things get to me. No one was really there for me. No one really focused on Matt. So you know, I started doing that typical adolescent rebellion stuff. And that being said, when I turned 16, um, my mom and my stepdad were having a hard time with me because my mom had to balance her. She was getting back into drugs and alcohol and my stepdad had to battle with that and no one could really pay attention to me. And my dad got out of prison and I thought it'd be a good time to move to Colorado. And so my dad did 10 years, uh, from when I was like two or three till when I was 13, he was in prison, federal prison for the methamphetamine. So I moved to Colorado because he uh, got out of prison. They put him through a two-year environmental program in Colorado uh, at a college and started this environmental business. And uh, I grew up really poor with my mom. We grew up in a mobile home. You know, I grew up with that church stuff for a, a while and I didn't, I wasn't feeling that and I wanted to go try to try this new life, a new beginning in Colorado at age 16. And so, uh, I didn't know my dad. Well, my mom had kind of told me these terrible things about him, but I, I wanted a chance to get to know my dad. And so, uh, my sister actually moved out here about a year before I did. And so at about the ages of 16 and my sister was like 17, 18, we started to get to know my dad or living with him. My dad got out of prison and although he was finding financial success, he was a a terrible alcoholic and actually in prison diagnosed as a sociopath narcissist. Um, so very worldly man comes out, finds some success. And, uh, you know, I looked up to him for a lot of years. Um, I finished high school, wasn't a great student. Uh, but luckily I stopped getting in like kind of more serious trouble. Um, 
finished high school and completely like walked away from God, was into girls and partying after high school. I started working for my dad doing the environmental thing, even though he was like a toxic man. He had kind of broken me down in my teenage years. He wasn't happy with this product he had received from my mother and uh, his kids weren't exactly maybe what he had had in his mind and vision. And my dad just started getting really verbally abusive towards me and my sister, treating us bad. and kind of broke us down in a way where we felt we needed him. And uh, so I worked for him in my 20s. Off and on, I'd get fired. I tried a couple other jobs. <clears throat> in the time, I'm just in survival. My dad's really successful. I'm feeling inadequate as a young man, trying to find my way in life, drinking a lot, going out to bars, and... Uh, kind of get lost in the world. I was able to kind of fit in with society, but deep down I was really struck. Uh, had an, got engaged at 25 while still working for my dad. But I, around that time, I started really struggling with alcohol myself. So actually around the age of 21, I'd say uh, watching my dad always binge drink and normalize it, act silly and act crazy, but be successful and respected kind of brought a normalization to me. Uh, of it and so at 21 I started thinking it was cool to talk crudely to women and 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 binge drink and a few years later I had a couple DUIs and and uh, had to acknowledge that I had acquired this drinking problem you know I started doing cocaine when I get drunk um just sleeping with a lot of women didn't have any really direction I worked for my dad but that's just what it was worked for my dad partied so this all kind of went on till I was 30 years old working for my dad, kind of fighting with him, a very dark, toxic relationship, had no identity, really didn't have an understanding of my upbringing, you know, not an understanding of my dad or, or my mom at that time. You know, you kind of always blame yourself. You don't really see things for what they are or people for who they are. Anyway, long story short, my mom passed away at 29 from pulmonary fibrosis, uh, kind of a mysterious lung disease, but it came on her pretty quick has to do with the lungs um you know she did a lot of drugs she was a smoker um well when she passed uh i started waking up a little bit to my dad you know it was getting really hard working for him i felt at a dead end of a road he just was never happy with and he told me i wasn't capable and i was incompetent and all these things and so at 32 i decided to branch away from my dad and start my own business and I did that. And then I met the mother of my child. I was still an alcoholic. I had managed to find some financial success, getting separating away from my dad, which in return came with a lot of realizations that I was kind of fed a lot of false truths um, about myself that I believed. Um, me and Jenny, the mother of my child, had Vincent about two years into being together. We weren't married or anything. And, uh, very broken relationship from the beginning, but having my son with her opened up my eyes to what being a parent is and how it should be. And that was probably a really big moment for me seeing like, this is hard for me to accept that my dad's treated me this way, um, has broke me down. And I couldn't really see that till I had a child. Um, shortly after having a child, me and her were, he's about a year or two years old. Um, uh, 
my drinking had paid its price on us. She was not liking me drinking 10 beers a night, multiple days a week, sometimes four days, five days a week, uh, and then dealing with the, the effects of that. So we got into therapy and I decided to quit drinking. And so having this son quitting drinking, me and her not working out, and then COVID, sorry, I know we, you asked about childhood and I'm kind of running with the whole story of that's all right. Yeah, it's okay. That's um, okay. Well, then uh, with COVID, so all this is happening, like I'm quitting drinking, you know, I have found some financial freedom, but it wasn't making me happy. Like something bigger was missing and like all these years of trying to figure it out, like, all right, well, if I make money, if I do this, uh, I get the girl, I have the kid. And it's just like all hit me at once that um, there's something deeper here that needs to get fixed and I don't know how to go about it. Like COVID happened and I realized like my business could get shut down at any time with this government. Uh, things are not within my control. There seems to be an ever shifting truth out there. And I, I don't, I don't get it. My heart in my heart, something feels off with what's going on. Started pushing the vaccine. Um, me and my mother and my child weren't really seeing eye to eye on the political stuff. And uh, I had quit drinking. I was growing a backbone. And she ended up leaving me. Um, when I told her I couldn't handle it anymore, she needed to change. Like there was a little bit of an abusiveness. When you're raised by a narcissist, you kind of surround yourself with these personalities. That's what you normalize. And, uh, Unfortunately, in that hindsight, I have to accept that, like, I got with someone that was somewhat abusive. And um, it was hard for me to accept that, like, quitting drinking ended our my relationship with a woman that hated me for drinking. So I was frustrated that, like, the healthy really wasn't an option for us. I didn't know why my son was losing his family. Uh, I had to sell my rental property to square up with her. Everything I'd ever worked for was getting threatened. I mean, my life... Um, even though I just quit drinking, a blindfold was pulled from me. And so one day, while all this is happening, she had just moved out. And I have this business that she was helping me with, with my books and stuff. And I'm just, I'm left alone with these things. I'm a single parent now. I'm going to have to go through this custody case. I don't know where life's going. I quit drinking. I'm not going back. And I just literally pulled over one day and said, all the, all the oxen free. Like, I give up. I don't have this figured out. I don't know where to go or what to do. I thought putting down the bottle would fix all my problems, and it's just opened my eyes to everything. God, if you're real, if you exist, I'm crying to you. And I was crying, and I just said, like, please, like, show me, like, work with me. Um, and then ever since then, that was about two years ago, and... uh I opened up the Bible and it really started with a journey of truth seeking around this time. I had this prayer. I started, you know, I had this connection when I was seven years old, but I had let it go because the iniquities of this world turned my heart cold, you know, and, uh, I couldn't make sense of a God with everything I had been through with my mother and my father and these, what felt undeserving, you know? And, um, mm. I turned my back on him. And then when all this, you know, I started seeking truth and it started with like, where's truth come from morality? You know, where did the nature of reality stem from? And, and I was led with my heart, but 
also looking for truth. And slowly through his journey, it was like, I opened the Bible and, and God just started speaking to me. I don't know the timing on that prayer and whether or not I was still having my mind in other places, but it was around that same time. And basically like God pulled me back in because I've told people, if you have a heart for truth, um, and you don't have a bias, I believe you find Jesus, you know? And so like moral of the story, I guess, would be that, you know, God's given me this time alone to work on myself, become the product he needs me to be for him. <clears throat> and, uh, you know, I don't know what my future holds. If there is a woman in the future, it'll be a woman of God. Um, you know, he's really just allowed me to take the time away from the world to figure out what I needed to do for me and my son and on this path. And as the world gets darker, I believe this timing is impeccable. Like just the way where I've come from and where he's pulling me so fast and making me be a, he's helping me um, build confidence, living in his truth and realizing, you know, that, that you can live for him. And I don't know, it's just been a, a wild ride. And so I'm able to look back at the whole journey and not be upset anymore and be grateful for where I'm at now because all the people that had the path um they're really struggling letting go of the flesh and god's prepared me for this time i feel so i'm grateful in hindsight you know i feel blessed so that's pretty much that's amazing big version it's an incredible story that that, that you just told and i have so many questions it's interesting the direction that your life took because uh in in the environment that grew, you grew up in it could have went a totally different way. And for most people, it probably would have. So I want to revisit parts of uh, what you said earlier. Um, you talked about the the drug abuses in the home, uh, the dealing of meth with your mom and your dad. And if, if I remember correctly, you said that that was mostly from uh, five to eight years old. How much did you realize back then what was going on? Or did you think that was normal? Um, actually, the drugs... <clears throat> were like more probably from age two till age six. Uh, and then when we moved up to Washington, I never, because we moved in with missionaries, I never saw any of the drugs. So the meth manufacturing when I was younger, I have no memories of my dad as a baby. Like it was all after prison or visiting him in prison. So like, I don't recall uh, like that age around five, six, my mom was on crack and so I guess my experiences then, they were terrifying. Um, she'd have these guys come over. I remember one time in Virginia, like I had a red balloon. I was four or five years old. And this guy just came up with his lighter and popped it. And it terrified me. Um, I remember going to my mom on like crack runs in Palo Alto and 30 crack dealers surrounding the car uh, with us and the kids. I remember just breaking down in the cars, windows getting bashed out, car stereos getting stolen, driving to school with no windows in the car. Um, so, and you were six. When that happened, I was five or six. Yeah. And uh, that's crazy. So, I never normalized it. My mom had to hide it from me. I had enough people around me like and other other family members or something that I could never be too normalized like 
So my mom was always kind of living like a secretive life, you know, with kids um, because of the show she had to put on. That being said, though, we were still exposed to like, I wouldn't say we lived in a crack house. I'm sure when I was two and a half, I lived in a straight meth house. Uh, but when my memory bank started kicking in and working at like age five, I just remember my mom had a couple apartments and it was just the three of us, me, my mom and my sister. And sometimes sketchy people would come by, but she kept a decent home and, uh, and she was gone a lot. She just would leave and not come home for up to 24 hours and stuff like that. So that was more or less the exposure to the drug world. And then when she got back, I'm not sure the kind of drugs, maybe meth or heroin when she was, when her mom died and she started drinking again. Well, so you talked, you said, you said there was a big, um, it was kind of a calming down of things. And yeah. then once you, you got to 12 and 13, uh, yeah. it kind of flipped and, and you kind of became a version of what your parents were in, yeah. in some, some sense. Why did that happen? Um, I guess all, what you know is what you see. And, uh, being that I didn't have parents that were forewarning us about addiction and alcoholism because they were covering up their own, you know, I, I guess, um, partying, all that was kind of glamorized because your parents do it. And, uh, mm -hmm. it took a lot of years. It's took till recent years to go back and go, wow. You know? Right. Cause you were from, from like 12, 13 to 30 something, you said, that you yeah. were struggling with addiction to some, in some yeah. way mm -hmm. or another, right? Yeah, and yeah. you weren't able to break free from it until until you had a until you had a kid, and then right. you you were able to get off the, the 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 alcohol. Yeah, but there was still something missing, right? Get, right. Talk yes. me through. Um. Well, I think in our minds we feel we normalize doing these things, and then you. You maybe you bat like I battled with it for uh, over 10 years, you know, almost 20 years of with the alcohol. And, uh, I think you think all your problems will be fixed. And, uh, and so when I pulled out the alcohol, I realized I was self-medicating like a lifetime of pain. It's spiritual, man. It's like you have these feelings that you've self-medicated and, you know, some people go to meetings. You know, you're basically what you call a dry drunk unless you're getting to the core of this. And the core is, I needed Jesus, dude. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> like he, uh, I think that was a hole in me. And honestly, I look back to when I was a kid and the hole it filled then. And then I walked away. And, and the truth is, is like, I believe God looks at just a much bigger picture, you know? Um, yeah, definitely. But yeah, like I... Yeah, I think uh, I was left with like, okay, um, nothing's going right. And and you know what's funny is ever since I've done this, I've had direction, you're accountable, there's purpose in it. And so um, it's crazy because I would say that I didn't go after it. I wasn't searching for Jesus. I was searching for truth and meaning and that ended up being Jesus. Yeah, there was just a hole there. And uh, it was a natural, organic pulling towards him. And then, and another thing I want to say is the uh, the discernment, the wisdom. You know, it's not just doing the right thing, um, and it's not just eternity and all these other things. It's like 
this design and playing in the design that God gave us by praying and being accountable and reflecting. Um, it's just the best thing I've ever done for myself. So here I am, 39 years old, started this at 36, 37. And the most dramatic shift in my life has been from 37 to 39 out of all those years. You were thinking that the alcohol would solve all your problems. And instead what it did is it, you removed the big problem and then you were able to see all the other ones that were, that were under that, that were creating oh, yes. this problem with alcohol. And, and then you realize really you had nothing figured out. And it seemed like your life truly changed uh, once you found Jesus. And that's just fascinating to me. It's weird how it works out because I am stubborn and ignorant and I walked away from God and I wasn't eager to go back. I was just like something's off and uh, what's going on in this world. And I guess I never really questioned why we were here, you know, just like one of those atheists that were just like, well, it's definitely not God because that dude ain't good. Right. And uh, that being said, like now here I am going like, wow, you know, so that's my testimony is other people. It's like I've been where they are at. Uh, I know what it's like to just make no sense of the God thing and to look at it from the other side of the table. And I get it, man. But you're only hurting yourself because uh, we can get out of our own way and lead with the heart. You know, you can really, you know, that's just it. We get in our own way. So I just had to get out of the way and give him the driver wheel, you know, and just let him listen to him, you know, and let him direct you and not lean on your own understanding. And it's funny because people don't want to surrender. They don't want to live life in that, like, I don't have it, but the freedom in that, the freedom in that surrender, um, and the doors it opens and like, the wisdom and all that that comes along with it and uh, getting to see this reality as it is and not how society's made it. You know, it's, it's just a cool journey, man. So I hope everyone tries yeah, it. <laughs> I love that. And I could probably talk about it for, for hours. I could probably ask you questions, you know, until, until the night ends. But uh, I guess my last question would be, you've gone through so many things in your life what is the biggest lesson that you've taken out of it? Because you had all these challenges. You had a rough and very interesting childhood. And then your teenage years and even in the beginning of your adult years. So what's the biggest lesson that you've taken from all of it? If you had like a message to say to, to a younger, younger you. Um, that never think it's over. Never think you've gone too far down a road that you can't turn back around on because you're right if you're turning back around by yourself it, it is overwhelming but like god can move in your life so quickly um that's the devil telling you that you've you've wasted time or anything like that we're sent here on this flesh test run and uh just no matter what road you've gone down just realize Jesus can still work in you and it's never too late and you can always work for his kingdom. You know, the one thing I think that I got in my head was enough years go by and I don't figure things out. Um, I'm done, you know? And the truth is, is like better late than never. And you can use all that pain for purpose. You can use everything you've been through. And if you surrender it to God, he'll, he'll let you use all that as knowledge and wisdom moving forward. And, uh, so I guess like with what I've been through, 
at this point now, I wouldn't have had it any other way because I believe that now I'm allowing God to use it for his glory and I'm allowing his purpose to be done. And maybe that it had to happen in order for me to be where I'm at now, right? Everyone has their own path. So we all make mistakes. Once you turn it over to God, you have to let it go and you're a new creation. And the day you give it to Jesus, your eternities began. We never die. So uh, yeah, I would just tell people that yeah. it's never too late, never gone away from God too far. And, you know, all you have to do is receive the gift and let him work in you, you know? I, I love that. I love that. There's always hope. It's a, it's a great message. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Almost False Podcast. If you enjoyed it, please make sure to leave a like and subscribe for more interviews like this. If you found this content valuable, please share it with a friend. It really helps us out a lot and hopefully it will help them too. If you want to be on the show, you can go to almostfalls.net and submit your story there. We would love to hear from you. With that being said, I hope you have a great rest of your day and stay blessed.